Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. bartender ryan tonight made us these cocktails that are like some kind of old-fashioned like bourbon yeah there's bourbon there's lemon maple syrup maple syrup they're delectable they're very good thank you ryan very sweet i love it delicious so like we said this is lightweight true crime we're the lightweights bringing you the true crime exactly precisely and we've already uh had about a third of a drink. We've been pre-gaming a scotch. So we pre-gamed, so yeah. this will be fun. You're welcome. <laughs> Loyal listeners. Loyal. And by that we mean the no seven one. friends we have made <laughs> listen to this podcast. And my mom, <laughs> who probably does not enjoy this. <laughs> oh, the things moms yeah. do. Man. Um, well, I went first last time. Yeah, so, so I think I'll go first this your time. Turn. Tell me a story. All right. So, this doesn't really have a name, but I like to call it The Savage Murders. Um, You'll see why, um, and it's not because people were brutally murdered. Oh, okay. All right. So, all of this takes place in a little town called Tustin, California. (gasps) Where uh, In there. Yeah. Ryan and myself grew up. Um, But never met. But we never met until, until we you moved fell to in the love. beautiful city of La Mirada. The metropolitan capital of California. <laughs> the warehouse capital <laughs> of California. The dirty strip mall capital of, of California. California. Okay. So, the house that this takes place in is literally 10 minutes from my parents' house by walking. The so one your parents, like, your parents' house now? No, the one that we grew up in. Ugh. So, it's like literally less than a mile away my brother had a friend who lived right down the street okay this is so funny because i have a childhood connection to my story oh my today gosh too. oh I my gosh look it. at us so podcast married so podcast married so um easter sunday of 2018 so it is march 25th 2018 um there's this woman doesn't give us a name but we know that her last name is savage Hence, Savage Murders. Sure, sure. Um, she goes to pick up her 87-year-old father um, from his house on the 1000 block of Hunt Ridge Avenue. Okay. Um, and he lives there with two of his other children. So this woman who goes to pick them up, her other two siblings live there. Okay. Daniel, who is 51, and Jacqueline, who is 57. Um, and as she goes inside, she finds her sister face down on the bedroom floor with blood on her mouth. Oh, my gosh. And so her sister thinks, oh, she fell down and hit her head, but she's pretty sure she's dead. So she runs outside to call the police. And when the police show up, um, there's no sign of forced entry. And they find Jacqueline, and she has a bunch of bruises all over her face and her neck, and she has Jacqueline's blood in her mouth. the sister that was face down? Yes. Okay. Jacqueline is the sister who lives with her father and brother there. Okay. And then the police also find Daniel, who also lives there. Um, and he's also face down on his bedroom floor. And he has what looks like blood all over his face, too. 
And so Jacqueline and Daniel live with their dad because he has Alzheimer's. And so they're there kind of as caretakers. Um, But their house, somehow it's like separated where their dad, Richard, kind of has his own area of the house. Yeah. And so he had no idea that his children had been dead for two days. Wait, I thought you said Jacqueline was alive. No, the other sister. Oh, we don't know the name. Gotcha. We'll call her Megan. Sure, Megan. Uh, I grew up in the same house with my grandparents and our houses, like we were in one house but had our separate areas and we could have been dead for like three to seven days and if our grandparents didn't open the kitchen door, they wouldn't have known. I get that. That's true. You also lived on a farm. This is suburb. That's true. That's true. Good point, Emily. Anyways. Excellent. Keep going. But also he has Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Anyways, Richard Savage lived in the house for two days while his children were dead, face down in their bedrooms. So, um, for for a couple days, police are like not sure what happened. They think there's foul play, but they're not sure because there's no stab wounds, no gunshot wounds, or anything. And so they conduct an autopsy and. I already said neither of them had any kind of injuries of any kind. And so what the coroner realized is that what they thought was blood on Daniel's face was actually shoe polish. So he had a bunch of shoe polish smeared all over his face. Okay. And he had consumed some as well. Oh. And so at first they're like, oh, well, he just drank a bunch of shoe polish and killed himself. Uh, Okay. Weird way to go. Yep. But the coroner does some lab testy things and realizes that it's not enough shoe polish to kill. And basically no shoe polish that you can buy is toxic enough to kill. Just some recreational shoe polish polish. digestion. But he had also swallowed three bullets. Oh my goodness. Didn't see that one coming. Yep. So Daniel had shoe polish on his face and bullets in his throat. Ugh. And... The coroner determines that he has died of a stroke. Oh, my gosh. So I'm not a doctor. I don't know if um, bullets and shoe polish can induce a stroke. I'm going to go ahead and say no. Yeah. I am a doctor, so I'm going to say say no. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he's 51. The chances of a 51-year-old having a stroke are pretty slim if they don't have any other pre-existing medical conditions. I've been told. And the coroner determines that Jacqueline died of heart disease. Okay. So I did not find anywhere that said that she had a history of heart disease. She was 57, so she was a little bit older. And what are the chances that the brother dies of stroke and the sister dies of heart heart disease disease on the same same time? day. In the same house. Both end up face down in their bedrooms. Right, right. So, that's it. Stop it. That is not the end of that story. <laughs> that is the end of is the story. Is it for real? Yep. They never investigated any further. The coroner was like, yep, that's it. Done. I'm done. I'm out. And uh, Tustin and police were like, cool, yeah, that sounds great. This is in the year of our Lord, 2018? And, no, 2008. Oh, 2008. Still. Still. Have they never seen an episode of Forensic Files? Probably not. Or, or Law and Order? Probably or, not. That's never how this goes. Right. That. So who was collecting their life insurance? I don't know. 
there's like not a ton of information out there. I even tried to like get their medical records or their their death certificate. Couldn't figure it out. No, there's um, something very yeah. bad going on there. So their father ended up living four more years and died in 2012. Um, I don't know what happened to our, our, our dear, dear friend, Megan. That is terrible. Yeah. Real quick, real short, and uh, going to stick with you for a while. <laughs> okay, we need to pause real quick because uh-huh. I'm going to sneeze. Oh, my God. I was about to sneeze last okay, time. Perfect. So, Ryan, can you pause? No. Seriously? Okay, I'm allergic to Ryan and Emily's cat. So you're allergic. Please to Ryan hold. And Emily. I am allergic to you. I'll uh, off. I'll just uh, tell some stories. Just tell them more about the cocktail. <laughs> so this cocktail we got out of a book. Hi guys, my name is Ryan. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm married to you. We've been married for more than one year, <laughs> and it's been above average. Rude. (laughs) Married. We have been married for three years, and it has been fantastic. I have known them for longer than they've been married, and they're both. You've known us for longer than we were even dating. I didn't meet you until you until you guys started dating. Yeah. But I'm very glad you came with my friendship to Ryan. That you were an add-on. And we'll edit all of (laughs) it. I remember. You can edit this out too. I remember Ryan and I had very first started dating, maybe like a couple months. And I like knew of you. Mm-hmm. I knew that you were like Ryan's feminist friend. <laughs> and I am he known was by like, that. I told Sarah about something that you said. And she was like, ooh, I like her. We'll be friends. And I was like, yes. I, m- I remember him telling and me that you were a feminist. <sighs> I remember. That's probably what he told you. And here we are. And here we are. Drinking cocktails. Spilling. Talking about true crime. Well, I'm very impressed with how our stories are similar in that they're short and weird. And from our, and from like, we have hometown connections to them. Um, tell me about yours. Yeah. So it's funny. I titled this document on my computer, lightweight story. Number one, (laughs) even though it's not the first story I've done for this show. I'm a seasoned podcaster now. Yes, yes, yes. So, Ice is melted. Oh, I'm sorry. Second drink, like Pam says in the office. <laughs> I'm sorry if you have misophonia. I, you're welcome if you have ASMR <laughs> likings. If that's your jam. Okay, so the story I'm going to tell you is from, it will begins in September of 1968, when a man named Douglas Grenstead who was a husband and a father of two girls, Beth and Lynn, who are ages 13 and 11, leaves to go on a hunting trip uh, in the Lake Tahoe area. I remember when he came to say say goodbye, Beth, his daughter, recalls. And then he left, and he was supposed to be back in a couple of weeks. This was not unusual. Um, Douglas regularly went on hunting trips, but a couple of weeks came and went, and he didn't return home. 1968, pre-cell phones, right? So yeah. maybe maybe there's a day, you know, give or take on either mm-hmm. end of that two-week estimate, but... Maybe he had a great... Lots of hunting. Maybe he was very successful in yeah. his hunting. But then, like, enough time passes that his family, that like, grows concerned. No amount of animals are... Right. Worth this, this is a time. husband and a father. He's yes. not going to, like, be gone for longer than he said. So authorities use everything at their disposal to look for him. 
search and rescue teams, use dogs, helicopters, volunteers from the local community, and even local prisoners to search the wilderness. Whoa. He was thought to have been hunting in, right? Because it's not like, oh, I'm going to Tuscaloosa on business. It's like, I'm going like hunting in the wilderness. So it's a little harder. But also, what's Tuscaloosa? Uh, it's a town in Oklahoma, right? I don't Are know. Are thinking of Tulsa? Tuscaloosa. I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> Tuscaloosa. Because they sound City of similar. Tuscaloosa. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in Alabama. Case closed. Um, West Central Alabama. Anyway. Um, so... So it sounds like he was in Tuscaloosa. No, 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 no. So all I'm saying is that he... He didn't go to L.A. for work. Right. He's in... He's camping. I'm sure that he didn't give his family, like, the exact coordinates of yeah. where he was going. So there's a lot of, like, land to search, right? Um, there were people from our church. There were people from the community that didn't even know us that went up to search for him. Daughter Lynn has said. So ads run in the newspaper. Um, they offer a reward for anyone who finds him. Local news outlets continue to keep the story alive as this search continues. And eventually, a team of searchers found what they thought was his campsite, which had several hunting tags, his sleeping bag, and even his car. But there were no signs of Douglas. Any time that somebody came by, we'd run into the living room to see if it was him. We'd stand up on the baseboard heaters and look out the window to see if he was coming back, his daughter mm. Beth said. So the searches eventually stop because they don't find anything oh. outside of like his camping spot. Um, and it's assumed that he died in an accident in the yeah. wilderness. And after seven years, he's declared legally dead. There was compelling evidence that he was indeed dead and it was tough on us, daughter Lynn is quoted as saying. So when Douglas initially goes miss missing, it's 1968, and Barbara, his wife, is left as a single mother to provide yeah. for her two daughters, right? This is like pre the era of the celebrated single mom. Yeah, she's mom. not allowed to work. Yeah, she's not allowed to work. She is a woman. and a woman, she's her, too fragile. She's too fragile. She might break. Um, but and not too fragile that she can't raise children. Honestly. Which, let's be honest, is hard work. Very hard work. The hardest work, some might say. So it isn't until he's declared legally dead seven years later after his disappearance that the girls and their mom received Douglas's Social Security survivor oh benefits. Oh, gosh. Right? So... Uh, Was there a reason why they weren't able to you, declare him dead earlier? I or? think you have to be missing for something, at least in the 60s. Like you Not that like, they were eager to like, right. let's declare him dead. Yeah. But it's also like, how are you going to provide yeah. for these kids? So it's not until seven years later, right? So if their daughters were 13 and 11, they were basically grown by the time yeah. they even get this money. So um, the girls were still minors when they were granted this money. Um, and so they didn't use that money until they went to college. But Beth received roughly $10,000 and Lynn received about $12,000. Dang, favorite child. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't know what the, if that has something to do with age of like when, how old they were, like Which when the dad older? died. I don't know. Oh. I should have done better research. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if there's something about accruing or yeah. interest. Well, <laughs> well, no, I think like I think it has to do with, I don't know. I shouldn't talk about things I don't know about. Anyways, um, money. So Barbara, their mom, and Douglas's widow, who was a stay-at-home mm -hmm. mom, used the $80,000 she received to raise and support her daughters, right? So... Fast forward to 2016. Beth okay. and Lynn, Douglas's daughters, uh -huh. are in their 60s. And Barbara, his widow, is nearing 90. When they each receive a letter from the Social Security Administration 
stating that they want all of that money back. Excuse me? Claiming it had been a overpayment. So why? What what is happening here? It's been it's been decades and decades, right? Why would they get this letter? Well, let me tell you. Uh oh. A year earlier, a man in 2015. Correct. Okay. Good job. A man in Flagstaff, Arizona, wrote to the Social Security office because he was dying of pneumonia, and he wrote them claiming to be Douglas Grinstead. What? The letter reads. My current name is Richard Morley, an identity I assumed. I was born Douglas Grenstead. My legal name and identity is Douglas Grenstead. I do not have a birth certificate under Richard Morley. Spoiler, Douglas Grenstead did not die in an accident what? on a hunting trip what? in 1968. What? He had faked his own death in order to run off with his mistress. <gasps> and in 47 years never once reached out to someone Holy. from his former life. 47 years. And then the one person you think to reach out to is the, is the Social, Social Security, Security office? office? That is a special kind of psychopath. So Douglas, you know, before he ran off, had been a funeral director. And he had <gasps> so taken he on the identity of a dead man named Richard Morley and petitioned the Social Security Administration for a new Social Security number using that name. And it was approved. Don't know how that worked, but it did. Me either. So Douglas's own parents died thinking their son had perished in a tragic Jeez. accident. Like he left his wife, his two children, and his parents. That mistress must have been super hot. So he married her and had two kids with her and lived this life in Arizona. With her. Yes. Forever. I think it was with her. Yeah. At all this time, we thought my dad was a victim, that something happened to him, Lynn said. And just, and we were just getting hit with the whole thing that he's been alive and that we were the victims. Because by the time they get this, they, like the social security reaches out to them, he's already died of pneumonia. Why? Sorry. There, so there's very little known. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, why did you have to concoct this crazy thing? Like, also then why did he reach out to social security office? Like, like why if, not take that with you? Like to the grave. Right. Like I, I would understand if he was like, you know what? I really want that $80,000 back. Well, it's not like it would have gone to him. That's true. Like this was, these are government benefits. The only reason that's true. So he like he just wanted to hurt them. Or like thought this was his weird way of getting it off his chest without suffering any of the consequences and having to actually like see his daughters Which is and wife. Dumb because he's about to die. It it's crazy town. It's crazy town. So the situation gets a scotch crazier. How? So despite the circumstances surrounding the situation, the Social Security Administration is adamant about wanting their money back. Oh my God. Originally, Barbara, right? Douglas's first uh-huh. wife and Beth, Beth and Lynn's mother, she requests a waiver, right? When she gets this letter. Yeah. Citing, she's like, I'm almost a hundred. I'm please. almost 1000 years old. Also, <laughs> I am clearly a victim in this, right? Yeah. So she cites that like there's fraud surrounding her husband's death. She didn't know about this. And initially a judge ruled that Barbara, that Barbara just needed to pay $10 a month for the rest of her life. And that after her passing, the remaining amount of more than $80,000 would be forgiven. If I were this judge, I would be like, girl, you've suffered enough. But, but that seems compassionate to me, right? 
She died two months after the decision, after this judgment was made. Right. And after her death, the judge reversed his decision. No. Which puts the debt on the shoulders of the daughters who, who he's also saying like you owe 10 and you owe $12,000. So Beth and Lynn have filed waiver requests which initially were approved. So at like the close of 2016, they got this like really good news that their waivers had been approved. They didn't owe all this money only to be reversed. Their mom dies. And then the decision, the waivers were reversed early in, I think 2017. And that legal battle, as far as my research, because I know Lynn, she, I went to school with her kids in Oregon. What? I don't know her like super well, but like, yeah. I know who she is. And, um, it was a small town, it, small school. Is it Jace's mom? It is Jace's mom. I knew yeah, it. It is a hundred percent. She changed her name. She did. Um, but as far as I could tell, this legal battle is still going on because, uh, the social security administration wants this money back. That is insane. And that is the story of the disappearance of Douglas Grinstead. Uh, isn't that bananas that is nuts like these two girls have lost their mom these two women i'm sorry they're in their 60s like they could lose their houses like they it is insane insane that they were victimized like by their dad yeah and now from the grave he is attempting to ruin their lives like oh sorry no you're dad's not dead he just didn't want to live with you anymore and by the way his dying breath was to ask for his money back and like yeah yeah like honestly social security administration doesn't need that money no um donald trump could cut two trips to mar-a-lago and we'd be good uh yeah, so that is Lynn. Lynn's kids went to my same private school, and um, I remember my mom like sending me the stories, like the local news stories, because like good for like the Portland, Greater Portland area news because they ran this story hard as good. like, can you believe this is happening this? to these sweet people? Yeah, like they're the salt of the earth. They're like super good people. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine like having to grieve that like your dad abandoned you, and then has been alive this whole time that you thought he was dead and also just turned out not to have like died in an accident, but was a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story of Douglas Grinstead. Whew. All right. We've been drinking. We have. And I've now- been drinking. I've been drinking. Anyway, sorry, Beyonce. Now I have a fun question for uh-huh. you and I really thought I would remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 If, there was a movie being made about your life Ooh. who would play you you know i've thought about this you know i have too um because i f- my life is so exciting that i i mm-hmm. think it's a distinct possibility that there's gonna be a movie made about it yeah i don't want this person like i i don't have this person in mind because i think like oh we're doppelgangers but just because i would be so tickled because i think she's a great actress and like funny and spunky mm-hmm. but um emma stone Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I think she's funny and quirky and smart, and I I would be honored. I think she would play a great Sarah Schwartz. Thank you. I hope so. What about you, Emily? Who would play you? I think I would pick Anna Kendrick. Oh, my Um, gosh. That is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm obsessed with her, and Ryan will tell you. And, like, you do kind of look alike, and I feel like you have a similar energy. It's like the greatest. (laughs) I know. I feel like if we met, we'd be great friends. Uh We have the same kind of humor. Granted... 
I only know her acting humor, but it's gotta be. I mean, the like same. I follow her on Instagram, and her captions are funny. Yeah, but we we'd get along well. I love and that. I think because she's like sassy and has a mean sense of humor. I love that. Ryan, don't nod at the fact that I have a mean sense of humor. Kudos to our executive producer, yes, Ryan. He really puts in a lot of work here. For listening to our stories, yes. for making us drinks. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.